0: I want to begin this morning by asking you a question, and I'm pretty sure that, that I already know the, the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyways. How many of you love watching your kids and grandkids open up presents on Christmas morning? Raise your hand. Yeah, that's most all of our parents and grandparents in here, right? Isn't it fun? Yeah. Well, imagine this scenario with me if you can. Imagine it's Christmas morning and you go into your kids' or grandkids' room to wake them up, to open up gifts, and they don't want to get up. And when they finally do, they have no interest in opening the gifts under the tree. They don't run in to see which gift is theirs. They refuse to to open the ones that have been given to them and instead they leave them wrapped nicely and sitting under the tree. Now that would be odd, wouldn't it? I don't think that has happened very often, if ever. But what if it did? Let me give you this scenario. This is a bit more believable. You It's Christmas morning and you go into your kids to get them up and they jump up and they run in and they open up their gifts, but they throw the card on the gift to the side that has the name of who the gift is from. And they never thank that person, nor do they even acknowledge him or her because they never pick the card back up to read it. Now that happens at times, doesn't it? Until the parents say, pick that card up, see who it's from. Sometimes parents say, before you open that gift, look at the card, because they know it's going to happen, right? Yeah. How about this one? Let's say they open up the gift that you've given them, and they do thank you for it, but then they take that particular gift and they go to their room and they shut the door refusing to share that gift with their brother or sister or refusing to let you in the room to watch them enjoy the gift that you've given them. How about this one let's say they open up a gift that you give and then let you know that they would rather have had one of the gifts that you gave to their brother or sister and when they're younger this happens a lot right we learned that with Ava and Edie they always want what the other one has and uh, we hadn't figured out how to (laughs) reverse that mentality yet one more let's say you give your child a gift on Christmas And he or she receives it, and they thank you for it, but they refuse to use the gift in the proper way. For example, let's say you bought them an aquarium with a PetSmart gift card so they can go and buy accessories for the aquarium and fish for the tank, and they refuse to use that card at all to buy any accessories or any fish and they refuse to fill that tank with water but instead they use that aquarium as a storage bin for toys in their closet. Let's be honest, we would not like any of those scenarios, would we? Parents or grandparents? Yeah. When we give gifts to our kids and grandkids, we first want to see them excited about receiving the gift. We love to see them run into the room and tear open their gifts and we love to see the excitement on their face when they see that specific gift we bought just for them. We also want them to know that we purchased that gift specifically for them because we love them and we want them to be thankful for all the gifts they receive. We also enjoy watching them use the gifts and and the joy that they receive from using the gift and playing with the gift that we have, have given them. And we also want them to share their gifts with their brothers and sisters because, let's be honest, that makes everyone happier and Christmas more enjoyable. And lastly, we don't want them to take a gift that was meant for a specific purpose and abuse and misuse that gift. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This morning, we are beginning a new section in this incredible book. We've been in this book since last October, going chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and this book has taken us to many interesting places, hasn't it? And it will for the next few weeks as well. In this passage, we're going to look at this morning in verses 1 through 11, Paul is going to make some similar points when it comes to the Corinthians and their spiritual gifts. In these verses and in the ones to follow, we are going to learn that the Corinthians were guilty of doing some of the exact same things. They were guilty of wanting gifts they did not have. They were guilty of not sharing their gifts to build up the church, and they were also neglecting and misusing and abusing their gifts in a variety of ways. Now let me warn you, before we get into this passage that we'll look at today, and the one for next week, and the one we'll look at in a few weeks in 1 Corinthians 14, let me warn you, these Verses of Scripture these chapters have been debated and disagreed upon by evangelicals for some time And they've actually split churches in they have divided believers denominationally So this is a controversial topic in Christian circles and know that I have taken that into consideration When preparing these sermons know I have spent more time on these sermons than any other in this series so I've done my homework but though that's the case I know that there will still be some in here who will disagree with some of the things that I say and that's fine that's okay but what I don't want to see happen is for you to be so bothered by our differences that, that you you know you can't move on you know, I, I, I don't want you to be so bothered by these things. And if you are, I want to invite you to come by and let's, let's talk. Set up an appointment and let's talk about where we differ and let's look through the scriptures together. Now, that's not an invitation for a heated debate on these issues, but I, I think it's biblical that when we differ in in interpretation of of some things, when we differ in our interpretation on the Scriptures, that it's biblical that we look at God's Word together and we walk through it and see what God's Word says on the matter. All right? So don't get mad at me. Hold your tomatoes, all right? Now back to the text at hand. In our passage, we're going to look at this morning. In verses 1 through 11, we're going to learn that though God gifted this church, the church at Corinth, in every way, remember chapter 1, we're told that they were not lacking in any gift. Though that's the case, they had taken the gifts that God had given them and they had neglected them and misused them and abused them. Now, this should not surprise us, should it? should not surprise us that the Corinthians once again had issues. And this time it was dealing with the spiritual gifts. I mean, let's be honest. This church was a messy church, wasn't it? And in case you're having trouble remembering that, let me give you a brief recap of what we've discussed so far. We have learned over the past year as we have carefully studied through this book that this church had issue after issue. I mean, shortly after Paul left Corinth, they began to have severe moral and spiritual problems. One issue they had in particular was on division. Remember we talked about that a bit last week I reminded y'all of that. They were divided over personalities. They were divided over difference of opinion. They were divided over all sorts of things. They were divided over socioeconomic statuses. And and we're also told that they were constantly taking one another to court and suing one another over the pettiest of things. They're also sexually immoral. Certain members of the church were guilty of fornication and adultery. There were also some who had been with prostitutes, and there was also a case of incest in the church. There was also open rebellion in the church against apostolic power. Many were questioning Paul's position as an apostle and they were challenging his God-given authority. The Christians also had marital conflict. Many of them had been married 30 times or more. You had believers divorcing one another because they believed to be single was to be the way. That was the more spiritual way. You had men treating women as inferior beings and women who refused to embrace their God-given role as a committed and submissive wife. They also abused Christian liberty. Many within the church had adopted a Rolling Stones mentality. I'm free to do what I want. Any old time. Their Corinthian catchphrase was, all things are lawful. And they were pushing their liberties way out to its limits. And they were falling into sin. Corinthians were also guilty of idolatry, selfishness, pride and demon worship. They were even abusing the sacred practice of the Lord's Supper by taking it as a divided bunch of individuals, by refusing the poor to participate, and by getting drunk off the communion wine. Sum it up, they were a mess. And just as they had perverted everything else, they were also neglecting and misusing and abusing the spiritual gifts that God had given them though they were gifted in every way they were ignorant on how these gifts were to be viewed and used and because of this ignorance they went back to what they knew and they allowed influences from their pagan past to shape the way they viewed and used these gifts so as you can imagine because they were mirroring some of these practices that took place during these pagan ceremonies and they were dragging these influences into the church Things got pretty wild and crazy and out of control during their time of worship. No wonder Paul said in 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen, 17, when you guys get together, it's for the worse, not for the better. I mean, it was, a, it was a madhouse when they met for worship. Some churches on TBN had nothing on the churches at Corinth. Really? There were some outlandish and bizarre practices that were taking place and some in the church would just highlight these things, the most miraculous and far out as being more spiritual than all the rest. Though they were mature in some ways, there were many ways in which the church was immature and one of these is when thinking on the spiritual gifts. So Paul writes to show them where they've gotten off track. In our text this morning, he calls for the Christians at Corinth in the first part of chapter 12 to to grow in their knowledge of spiritual gifts. And in this passage, he shows them how to do just that. First, Paul explains, number one, though harmful if abused, spiritual gifts are important. Look at verse 12. Paul says... Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Or in some of your translations and some of your Bibles it says ignorant. I do not want you to be ignorant, Paul says. Now I love the way Paul handles himself here. Like we've said already, one of the major issues at Corinth was this issue of spiritual gifts. These gifts were being horribly abused and misused in Corinth and they were causing all kinds of problems in the church. But notice Paul doesn't say, just forget about it. Spiritual gifts are causing too many issues for you. Just drop the whole issue altogether. Quit thinking about them at all. Quit focusing on them. But he doesn't do that, does he? No, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant. About spiritual gifts he says I want to correct your way of thinking when it comes to the spiritual gifts why because Paul knew that they were important he knew it was imperative that the Christians at Corinth have a solid understanding of the spiritual gifts you know oftentimes churches think it's easier just to throw the baby out with the bathwater they do we have a tendency to just take any and everything that could be potentially problematic and just get rid of it. And many have done just that with spiritual gifts. Many have witnessed some of the the craziness that takes place in some churches and have said, if that's where emphasizing spiritual gifts is going to lead, pass on that. Here's the problem with that extreme just doing away with it all together. What happens is when we reason in this way, at times we part with things that are truly valuable. Paul doesn't go this route. Instead, he spends the next three chapters stressing the significance of the gifts and the importance of them being exercised properly. Now, what's so significant about spiritual gifts? Well, the question we really need to ask is what's not important about them? Listen, this is key. Without spiritual gifts being discovered, being received and used by those in the church, Christ's church cannot function the way it was meant to function. And his church cannot become the church that he's called her to be. In Ephesians 4, Paul explains the importance of the gifts in relation to the church. In this chapter, he says God has gifted every believer With gifts that he expects him or her to use and he has placed them in a local assembly in the church to be equipped to use those gifts that's my role the equipping part so that you can in turn exercise those gifts in the church so that the church can be built up that's the point see the church at Corinth had it all wrong Though they were gifted and exercised these gifts, many of them had the same misunderstanding that many do today. Though they knew they were gifted, they thought their gift was ultimately for them. And they thought the church was the place they just showcased that gift. Sound familiar? They thought the gifts were for their benefit, to put the spotlight on them to say, hey, check me out. Look how God has gifted me. And not a lot has changed. I've heard of some people reason in this way. They say things along these lines. I've heard people say, God has gifted me with a gift and it is my duty to put that gift on display and to showcase that gift before the world, okay? Well, the question I have is this, for what purpose? Just to show how gifted you are? According to Ephesians 4, that's an incorrect use of that gift that God has given you. No, Paul says the the, the purpose of the gifts are to be used to build up the body of Christ. So it's important that we do not do away with these gifts, but it's also important we don't misuse them either. Instead, we need to realize the importance of the gifts and understand how to properly view and use them in a way that the church can be built up. Number two though they are needed spiritual gifts can be counterfeit like we explained in the previous point spiritual gifts are important and they are needed and because that's the case we need to be on the lookout for counterfeit gifts scripture talks about this listen Satan and his demons are crafty they are and they often work in subtle ways And one of the ways in which they work is in counterfeiting spiritual gifts. And that's what was happening at Corinth. Look at verse 2 and 3. Paul says, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Here Paul is reminding the Christians at Corinth of their pagan past. And he says, you guys used to worship the way the pagans do. At one time you were led astray by mute idols, by non-speaking, non-existing deities. Paul explains here that because they were bringing these old influences, these old practices, these old patterns of worship into their new life in Christ and into the church, as a result, they were unable to distinguish between the usual and the unusual, the demonic and the divine, the true and the counterfeit. They were being misled once again because they were allowing their worship services to be influenced once again by these pagan influences. The lines have been blurred. They had so blended their pagan past with the Christian faith that they could not even distinguish between what was of God and what was not. That's not good, folks. It's not good. I believe that's why Paul says what he does in verse 3. No one, he says, speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. That should be obvious right here's the problem I believe the lines have gotten so blurred in the Corinthian congregation and and because of these pagan influences in their worship services it it had become so bad that they could not even tell between a curse toward the Lord and a blessing toward the Lord now folks that's incredible that's unbelievable That's what was happening. They had become so caught up in just what was the most showy and miraculous gift that they just completely omitted the content of what was being said. Now listen, there's an important lesson for us here, and it's this. Just because someone is in the church doing exciting things and intriguing things does not mean they are functioning under the power and the control of the Holy Spirit. I mean, don't be fooled into thinking that Satan and his demons are just out there pulling the wool over unbelievers' eyes. That's not hard to do. They spend as much time in here as anywhere, they do. Paul goes on to explain the way you know if God is at work and the gifts being exercised are authentic is when that which is taking place is biblical. Believers, it's so important that we function biblically in this church, that we be serious about being biblical. That's why we need to examine every activity by Scripture. Whatever is said or done up here, or in a small group setting, or in kids' classes. It's so important before receiving it and applying it and teaching it that we examine it by Scripture. That's essential. Also, it's important to note the fact that Satan goes above and beyond and his demons they go above and beyond to counterfeit these gifts that should show us how important they really are and how beneficial they are to the life of the church I heard someone say recently people don't counterfeit that which isn't valuable makes sense right it's true think about it people don't counterfeit paper or sticks or rocks do they they have no worth counterfeit money checks Expensive sports memorabilia, whatever it may be. They counterfeit that which is valuable. So if, if Satan and his demons are, are hard at work counterfeiting spiritual gifts, then that should tell us how important they really are. And because this is a case, we need to, to be hard at work discovering what those gifts are and, and measuring the exercising of those gifts by Scripture We need to learn how they are to rightly be used and learn how to discern true gifts from those that are counterfeit so the church can be built up. The third thing Paul wants us to realize about spiritual gifts is that though there is a variety, spiritual gifts come from one source. Look at verse 4 through 6. Paul says, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit is. There are a variety of services, but the same Lord. There are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. Now notice Paul says in all three verses, varieties, 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 and he also says same spirit, same Lord, and same God. His point, simple. Though there is variety in the church, there is one source from which this variety is to come. Paul's point is that for the church to be built up, it must have unity and diversity. It must function in a variety of ways while looking to and trusting in the one true God, the source through which this variety comes. In verses 4 through 6... Paul makes the point though there are a variety of gifts, a variety of ministries, a variety of fruits that result from exercising these gifts and that come as a result of these different ministries, behind all of these things, the source of every gift, every ministry, every fruitful result is the one and true and living triune God. Now, this was an important message for the Corinthians, at, uh, uh, the Christians at Corinth to hear. Because their worship services during those, they were labeling some gifts as being up here, more spiritual, more important, and more significant than others. So Paul says, no, 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 the church needs a variety of gifts and ministries, and not one is more important or more significant than another. And he clearly indicates that God is behind them all. Now let's take a moment to look specifically at what Paul says here. Let's break this down a little bit more. First he says a variety of gifts, the same spirit. It's important for us to realize that there is a a need for a variety of gifts in the church. You have some who think their gift is the only important gift and that everyone needs to possess their gift. I've known of some people in the past who have the gift of teaching that believe that every believer needs to be in a teaching role. Our classes would be pretty empty if that happened, for one, but uh, they believe in this way. Well the answer to them, the way I would answer them is not everybody needs to be because not everybody has been gifted in that way. Now we all need to be teaching in our homes need to be teaching our children we all need to be teachers in that way but I'm talking about more in a corporate setting in the church there are a variety of gifts and some don't have that gift Paul also says a variety of services the same Lord just like not all gifts are the same not all services are the same for example we have different opportunities here at this church for you to be involved we have those who serve through music we have those who serve in children's ministry those who serve the church through helping with the upkeep and the building and grounds there are a variety of services each are important each are needed listen the Lord gifts our people in different ways so that they can meet the diversity of needs in this church so very important in verse 6 Paul says a variety of activities the same God now the word activities can also be translated effects you have two or three you can have two or three ministries similar in style and content but 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 each one has different effects they have different results they have different fruit from those different ministries but no matter the fruit listen each are from the same God listen the small group that you lead may not have the same amount of people that uh, that another one has. The kids' class that you teach may not be as fruitful right now as the one down the hall, but don't get discouraged by that. Know that God is at work in both, in different ways, and know that your faithfulness and your contributions are needed. Stay where you are. They're needed to build up this church. Look at verse 7. This is key. Paul says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. This is one of the key verses in this passage. Remember I explained to you earlier that the Christians at Corinth, very much like the believers today, believed that their spiritual gifts were given by God to them for their own benefit. Notice what Paul says here. He says, gifts, ministries, and the fruits that result from those gifts and ministries are the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. First notice the word manifestation. That word means to make visible, to make clear, to make public in a church setting. I know of believers today who are not associated with any church, who are exercising their gifts on their own for their own benefit. That's not a proper exercising of the spiritual gifts. Gifts are meant to be manifest they're meant to be made public in the church for what reason in the verse 7 for the common good they are meant to edify others not yourself gifts are not meant for self edification they are meant to edify others and we'll talk about that more in chapter 14 let's close out this passage by spending a bit of time looking at verses 8 through 11. Look at what Paul says here. He says, For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between the spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. Now, this passage I'm sure is familiar to a lot of you. This is one of several passages that list out some of the spiritual gifts. Now I have looked at countless numbers of books and notes, and, and have even heard several sermons given by, on 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 11. And what many do is they take hundreds of pages or, or several weeks in a sermon series to explain each one of these gifts individually. In great detail now I'm gonna spare you of that this morning all right big sigh of relief now I'm gonna explain them in a moment but just briefly and here's the reason why because as I look at this text this is not Paul's intent if Paul wanted these gifts to be explained in great detail he would have added more detailed description to each of these gifts he does not Also, if he wanted to stress all the different gifts that are given, I believe he would have given us a more completed list. There are gifts listed here that aren't on other lists in other passages and there are gifts omitted here that are found elsewhere. That does not concern Paul here in the least bit. What he's doing is he's just making the point he made in verses 4 through 7 that there are a variety of gifts within the church, and that each of these gifts are empowered by the same God, the same Spirit. Now, though I'm not going to go into great detail, let me give you a short description of each of these so you'll know, in particular, the, the, the gift that Paul is referring to here. First, Paul says, there is the gift of wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge is the gift of understanding, the deep things of God, and wisdom is being skilled at applying that knowledge in everyday life. There's also the gift of faith. Now, I don't believe this is saving faith or even daily faith that we live by as believers, but I believe this is a special faith, an a, a unusual capacity to believe God. This was the, the gift of the Roman centurion that Jesus highlighted. Paul also mentions healing healing is the special ability to call on god to heal the sick through supernatural means he follows healings with miracles the gift of miracles is the ability to call on god to do supernatural acts to reveal his power there's also the gift of prophecy again paul doesn't specify here so we don't know if he's talking about those who speak the words that god has already given or those who give a word that God has not yet spoken. It could mean one or the other or both. He also mentions the gift of discernment. Discernment is having a keen sense of that which is of God and that which isn't. Now, whoever had that gift in Corinth was not exercising it, right? Yeah, but people possess this gift. And lastly, he mentions tongues and the interpretation of tongues which we will not get into this morning. And I know you're like, come on, you know, you got you to explain them all. Well, the reason why I'm not is because Paul gives an entire chapter, chapter 14, to talk about tongues and the interpretation of tongues. So we're going we're gonna to wait on that until that comes in a couple of weeks. I don't want to spoil any surprises, okay? All right. Now, again, I'm not going to spend another 30 minutes this morning explaining my personal view on the miraculous gifts and defending it to the death, Okay. But what I have done for you is this. When you leave today, I have written a a position paper that I put together on what my my interpretation of the miraculous gifts. So if you're interested in hearing what what, what, the, the way I understand it in the scriptures, you're free to take one. If you don't, you won't hurt my feelings at all. Okay? So we're going uh, to have those laying out on the table as you leave today in the foyer so you can take one of those and, and read it and write it up and get ready to uh, stop by my office and visit with me. Okay? All right. All right. Let's end on this. We've been discussing the great work that God has done by richly blessing his church and by giving them a variety of gifts that is uniquely crafted for each individual believer. But this sermon, listen, would not even be close to being complete if I failed to mention to you the most important gift that God has ever given. The gift that surpasses all gifts. The gift, the greatest gift the world has ever known. The gift of his son. You see, in the very beginning, God's first gift to man was himself. He created a perfect world, and then he made a sinless man, a woman who he created in his image to live in perfect relationship with himself. But like the kids I explained to you at the very beginning, in the second to last scenario that I shared with you in the introduction, when tempted with another option, man and woman, Adam and Eve, decided they wanted something different. They no longer wanted God's gift, but instead they wanted the gift that the serpent was offering and they took it. And as a result, the gift they rejected, that God-given, perfect, unhindered, unrestricted relationship with himself was broken. Man's ties with the one true God were severed. But here's the great thing about our God. The one true God, the God of the Scriptures. Our God is a gracious merciful gift giver he is even though man rejected his first gift he gave us another He gave us the opportunity to have that relationship with him restored once again. Though we chose to go at life on our own, though through this initial act of disobedience, we ruined and wrecked God's perfect world and our perfect relationship with him, God sent his son, the eternal son of God, to accomplish what we could never accomplish for ourselves. In a million years, he accomplished through his life, death, and resurrection— Salvation for us so that if we place our faith and trust in Him and Him alone we could be made right with God again we could have paradise restored if you're here this morning you have never trusted in Christ for your salvation listen, you have yet to experience the greatest gift the world has ever known if this is you don't let this moment pass you by you can receive this gift right now. You can cross over from death into life if you will admit that you're a sinner in need of a Savior and if you will, you will turn from your own allegiance and transfer that allegiance to Christ. Make Him Lord of your life and trust in Him and Him alone for salvation. If you have not, I pray you would this morning. Let's pray.